One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, Queens is over, folks. We sit here in the media centre, surrounded by... A pint of Pims, a pint of wine, and another pint of Pims. <laughs> it's great. And uh, we've just had Queen's, uh, the Saints Championships to be exact. Uh, lots of other tournaments as well, which we'll come on to discuss on this edition of the Tennis Podcast. I felt a little bit at a loose end, a bit bereft without the podcast, Catherine. I know you've been probably a bit too busy talking on the telly to, to, to notice it as much as I have, but crikey. I've been looking forward to this. Yes, I agree with the latter part of that sentiment. I've been very much looking forward to this. It was such a thrill to record the podcast all in person last Sunday, even more so than my very, very high expectations. But I have not finished a loose end. (laughs) My ends have been very much tied. Well, I mean, I suppose, strictly speaking, having run the media operation here, I haven't exactly been at a loose end. But anyway. Queen's is the one week of the year where I get a taste of what you two have all weeks of the year, where you're juggling other things with the podcast. Most of the time, I'm, I'm only doing the podcast and... I don't know how you do it (laughs) because like Catherine, I'm very much looking forward to this podcast now. I've not felt at the end of every day ready to do a podcast. Mm. Hence why we haven't. So, you know, (laughs) lump it, listeners. My mother uh, very, very sweetly asked me um, tonight or said that my wife had told her that the reason she couldn't find one on her phone when she asked her to repair her phone as a result of, of it not showing podcasts is because we hadn't done one. <laughs> she and thought the app was broken. Yes, yeah, she did. Oh. I like how it was more likely that the app was broken <laughs> and it was that we weren't she doing podcasts. She knows her son very well. Correct. Um, uh, just to answer your question, Matt, about how we... Uh, juggle all these things in my case I blag it and uh, and so here we are um, well we've just had a, a, a week of tennis which started off in the most glorious sunshine imaginable when we had media day a week ago which was the Sunday we recorded wasn't it the, the center court was bathed in the brightest sunshine imaginable um, the the new sponsor has, has got purple as its brand colour all around the centre court. And, I mean, it it did look spectacular. And we had, what did we have, about three days of weather like that before it turned dramatically? Three sweaty days um, (laughs) that I'm not complaining about, uh, but they they were sweaty. (laughs) Did you have one of your air conditioning hoses? I, uh, for reasons I won't delve into details of, I did have to request a towel to sit on right thanks <laughs> in the studio <laughs> detail um yeah it was really hot it hot in a sort of er, er, everyone was saying oh we're not going to complain about the weather <laughs> in a sort of subtext we're all complaining about how hot it is yeah. um but uh, i know it's it's london in june and maybe there's a bit of recency bias here, but I, I don't, I can't remember as great a contrast in mm. weather systems uh, during a tournament. And I, I, maybe it's something about 
the way this tournament is affected by the weather, how exposed the centre court is. It's as open as a centre court can be. I mean, obviously, outdoor events are weather affected, but some something about the way the stands are constructed, they are sort of... Um, yeah, they're opening themselves up to the sky, aren't yeah. they, the stands here? They're almost and collecting water. Mm. Yeah, and look, I found a couple of days this week quite hard in the in the grim weather. You know, my job is to generate energy in the studio and, and transmit the excitement and the buzz of... Uh, of being on site and look, it has been a tremendous joy to be on site in an event this week with crowds no less um but generating energy when rain is piddling all over that energy <laughs> um and it's freezing cold and you have not dressed appropriately for the weather is is quite difficult at, but, what, um, at what point did you make the wardrobe choice that would inappropriate for the week is that how it works do you make it for a full week or not well there's there's wardrobe choices is fine it was a shoe i made a very bad shoe shoe choice right is the issue i've only got because because was it thursday that (laughs) you had to order shoes last minute (laughs) yeah because i forgot mine and i've only got one what was the day that was almost a total total washout friday Yes. yes. So, well, actually, it wasn't. We thought it was going to be a total washout, and it, we actually got almost all the, the tennis played. But, um, again, an example of how exposed this place is to the weather, all of the sort of temporary surfaces, you stepped upon them, and you sort of sunk down an inch, and two inches of water emerged from nowhere. You think you're on <laughs> solid ground, and suddenly you're just in a puddle <laughs> um and i spent most of my day with my exposed bare feet in a puddle right mm. i see okay um i can't remember where we got onto that um what i do want to know though is at what point you thought matteo berrettini is going to win this title which he has done top seed first time he's ever played the event when did you think he's going to win this I thought he should win it at the start of the tournament. Oh, right. Um, and I think he thought that as well. He did, didn't he? He certainly said as much. He said that yeah. was his intention, came yeah. here to win the tournament. I think because we didn't have the grass last year, it's been easy to forget that Matteo Barrettini had a really good grass court season in 2019. Mm. One Stuttgart, I think semi-finals of Haller, and then last 16 at Wimbledon where he got beaten by Federer which, I think that spoiled which has probably spoiled people's things. perceptions of him on grass because he got thrashed because by the, Federer and, and, be- and said thanks for the lesson afterwards yeah. Yeah, that is kids the line were laughing at that him. people remember and yeah. I think he knows it he, he knows that he looked across that net and was just starstruck he's a different player now I mean that was that was before his US Open semi-final run even and I'm now starting to wonder I love a you know in hindsight narrative I'm now starting to wonder how much of how much of the the story and him being a completely different player is down to that day and how much of a beating he took and yeah literal schooling I bet he had a good think about that yeah Uh, I think I'm trying to remember where I've seen it I think there's a, a, a maybe an article that's been written this weekend in which he addresses it when he realizes he can't go into a match like that again looking down the other end and being a bit of an autograph seeker almost um and he he carried himself like you said in those interviews from the start of the week he carried himself like the top seed Mm. and anything other than winning the title would be disappointing to him um, and all the way through the tournament, he only lost one set all tournaments. That was today in the final against Cameron Norrie. And Norrie had to pull rabbits out of the hat in order to win that second set. I mean, it was just way for thin difference between them in that in that set. The rest of the week, nobody's... Apart from first round was his biggest struggle, wasn't it? That, that was the only time he lost serve in that first mm. round against his compatriot Stefano Travaglia. That's how I've been saying okay, it. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, that was two tie breaks, and he was a breakdown in, in both of those sets, and then he didn't lose serve for the rest of the tournament. I think I've always known he had a big serve, 
the impact that that serve has on grass is greater than I'd realised. I mean, no one was getting close to him. As you said, Cameron Norrie got a set, but it was a tie-break, which he pinched. He didn't, he didn't get close to Berrettini's serve throughout the rest of the match. Um, and, you know, I know we talk about Berrettini's forehand, but every time I watched a rally this week and the ball went onto Berrettini's forehand, I thought, oh, point's over. Mm. The way he is able to just finish it with that shot I'm not sure there's many players who can do that now. Okay, he's not played Novak Djokovic, for example, who's got imperious defence, but he played some good players this week. Andy Murray, Dan Evans, Cam Norrie in the form of his life, and he's hit through all of them. I think he's he's, he's better than I realised, and that's kind of been the theme of the year with Berrettini, but mm. I think yeah. on grass in particular, I've really felt that this week. Suits him down to the ground. Mm. Uh, I think... The only the, the time that made me think he's he is going to win this title was one rally against Dan Evans, who had him at four two in the tiebreak in the first set. Mm. By the way, so that was a, I think that was perhaps an underrated achievement from Evans to mm-hmm. to have got himself into that position in the first set. Um, but the the rally I'm referring to is one in which they were going toe to toe, and he was hitting the big forehand. Evans was absorbing it, hitting a few of his own. And then he got him into his kind of rally, did Evans. And he, he started to have a dink, dinkathon at the net, you know, <laughs> with slice, backhands, and forth. And Berrettini almost just seemed to relish it. And, and, he, and he won the point hitting an inside out, sliced forehand, kind of curving left to right as he hit it. And he did it, he didn't need to do it, he did it deliberately because he could, because he, he's quite confident in that type of rally and I thought well if he can win that sort of rally how do you beat the guy how do you beat him if he's got a serve that is way bigger than I realized because I I was there for the final game of him against Andy Murray I went out to to stand courtside and try to sort of just feel the pace of the shot because he doesn't I don't know I've never thought of him as 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 big a server as this I suppose because the forehand dominates my thoughts but he hit 142 134 140, 140 at Andy Murray. And Murray got one racket on the ball in the entire game. Um, it was brutal, violent, the way he was hitting the tennis ball. Yeah, I'm, I'd love to see him play Novak Djokovic on grass. That kind of serving and hitting, because mm. that's when you'll really know how good that serving is. Yeah. Um, if, if Djokovic can't get it back, um, I, I'd love to see that. I, I heard pundits of yours saying that he is the second favourite for Wimbledon. This was before mm. he won this tournament. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think that is a reflection of how strong a favourite Novak Djokovic is, how few other genuine contenders there are, as much as it is about Berrettini without doing him down. But give me a name that you'd feel more confident about putting as the second favourite than Berrettini. I mean, it's not an open-shut case that he's the second favourite, but I can't confidently tell you I'd put anybody ahead of him. I'd have put Federer before this week. Yeah, I mean, we'll come on to talk about Federer. I probably would have as well, but the experts I've been surrounded by don't feel great about Roger Federer. Mm. Mm. We'll come on to speak about him a little bit more. Yeah, I think I've come to think of the Wimbledon field as Novak Djokovic and the rest. But Matteo Berrettini, for me, is is leading the pack of the rest. It'd be fascinated to see where he ends up in the draw because he's what's he going to be about eighth or ninth seed, something like yeah, that. Yeah, um, eighth. I would have. I mean, there's a big difference between eighth and ninth. I think mm. he'll be seventh or eighth. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think it'll be a top eight. Yeah, because Nadal's gone. Yeah. That's the other big news of the week, isn't it? That Nadal has withdrawn from Wimbledon and the uh, the Olympics. Mm. So that's that's another seed out the way. Um, he, he he was thrilled with Berrettini today to win that trophy. Um, and I think look, I'm biased. I think most of us are about this event. It's in in terms of its importance, its significance, and its the feeling that they get from winning it you could see him with that huge silver trophy um, and he loved it um, but he had to wrestle it out of the way of Cameron Norrie who this week talking about people who are better than the th- than we thought they were he is way better than I thought he was um, 
I thought on this surface he would never do something like this. It, even at the start of the week, Catherine, when you interviewed him, he didn't sound very confident about no. his chances, to be honest. No, he surprised himself and surprised surprised all of us. His um, his performance in, in the final today reminded me of, uh, made me think of some of the photos I've been getting this week uh, that my mum's been sending me of Billie Jean with Rosie. <laughs> Um, with a look on her face of like we're, we're the same, right? We're the same size. I'm like we're you know we're cut from the same cloth. And what is the differential? <laughs> I mean, there's probably you could probably fit about twelve Billy Jeans in Rosie. <laughs> what what is Billy Jeans? A little cock- she's a cavapoo. Cavapoo. Mm. And Rosie is a golden. A, a lab retriever cross. Right. Uh, a, a, Labrad- a Labrador. Pretty a blonde much. one. Yeah. Right. Um, sort of a, a just a scrappy. I'm I'm going to be your equal, even though <laughs> you know I'm not really. <laughs> but I'm going to pretend for a couple of hours. Rose has very much got a sort of whatever. Look, look, look <laughs> yeah, just to show up. I'm going to weather this storm. You're going to try and play with me. I'm going to let it happen for a little while, and then I'm I'm going to win in the end. Yes. And there was another match like that this week, which was Nori versus Karatsev which was the one which stood out for me. Part of my job here at Queen's is to watch the matches and pick out points that, that will be good for a highlights reel. And sometimes you're watching matches and you, you're scraping around trying to think, is that a good point for a highlights reel? No, not really. But this match, honestly, we were clipping every single point, Nori Karatsev. Oh, really? It was, it was I did, I, such high quality. I didn't get to watch that match. And Nori was doing a similar thing as he did, did in the final day against Berrettini, going, yeah, just going toe-to-toe with a bigger, stronger man and making his tennis work. And it's funny, you know, Nori was, Nori was in the same position today that Feliciano Lopez was in two years ago, which was in the singles final on the Sunday and then a double semi-final to finish and potentially a final to play and yet now there were lots of other circumstances two years ago most notably Andy Murray's presence but last year that was a huge story you know Mm. with Lopez it was the story of the tournament it was his tournament today with Norrie it felt like a kind of afterthought that he was in all these matches and I just think that's harshly perhaps but kind of reflective and symbolic of him as a tennis player he is underrated not talked about as much as he probably should be he has had an amazing season he's i, I think he's is he 12th in the race so, uh, he could well be he's he's won I more think matches he's 12th in the race third third final his third final of the season all different surfaces all different surfaces he's won more matches than anyone bar Sitsipas and rublev i mean the strides he's made are incredible, really. I mean, I thought he was with. I thought he was top fifty, yeah, max, and with, he's proving that he's 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 more than that. With frankly, relative to the people surrounding him in the rankings, a limited toolkit, and I mean that as an absolute compliment to him. He is an example and an inspiration. He's he's incredible. Mm. Total maximizer. And, yeah. Absolutely. And I, yeah. I, I almost wrote on Twitter today, your time will come, Cameron Norrie, for his first title. Ooh, and then I remembered Tennis Relived and I thought, <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. And I look, just thought it, keep knocking on that door yeah. and it might, it might, might come. But I mean we we had a funny old scene last night when, when he'd managed to get the semi final win against Shapovalov, who's all extravagant winners, left, right and centre. But he doesn't seem to have a clear game plan, a clear identity of who he is as a, as a tennis player. And you've got Norrie perfectly satisfied with what yeah. he is. He's like, come on then, bring it on, I will find a way past you. Yeah. I, um, I hope that Shapovalov has had that same assessment mm. of that match and, and learnt what so many players and people generally could learn from from Cameron Norrie I mean I find him quite inspiring Um, not convinced by the way no I like Shapovalov I am worried very worried I haven't seen a full acceptance of what you're talking about really no Um, but what what we did have I mean that match finished pretty late last night and then Norrie had to do TV interviews on court then a press conference and then we had to do preview final preview interviews for yourself with Amazon Prime Video and BBC TV and ATP Media and because it was raining we did it in the 
in the walkway next to the court undercover and it's dark and dingy and outside the loos yeah outside the loos it was cold he sat there in his shorts i couldn't believe how good that interview looked when we ran it on prime i was like that's the loo i use right there (laughs) and he's 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 sitting there freezing but he's in his shorts uh and the first question that was asked to him was something along the lines of you you have a little bit of that thing that Rafael Nadal has of no point is ever lost in your mind and his face lit up he was so pumped to be compared and and look he's not Rafael Nadal he never will be but he's played him twice this year the first time he, he gave him a good old fight uh, he's not good enough to beat him and the second one he lost in straight sets at Roland Garros but he did not disgrace himself he brings it and I think that there's definitely more to come from him because he's going to keep on coming. So the only guy he's lost to at Slams this Nadal. year is not in the draw at Wimbledon. <laughs> what, does that say? what does Prime that video. mean? I let uh, Tim Herman and Greg Brzezinski talk themselves into a brilliant cul-de-sac with that one uh, oh, on air earlier. I was like, what? so you're saying he can't lose? <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> David is just choking on some pims. That was so funny. Um, what, what do we make of Andy Murray this week? How do you come out of this tournament thinking about Andy Murray? He, he won a first match in goodness knows how long. Uh, he beat Benoit Pair, which probably wasn't the worst draw in the world. And even Andy Murray slightly took the piss out mm. of the fact that he'd beaten Benoit Pair, who wasn't that engaged in his words. But still, you know, he got the job done. And then he, I think by common conclusion most people felt he played okay against Berrettini lost 6-3 6-3 but everybody's losing to Berrettini yeah I I didn't think he played that well against Berrettini in terms of hitting the ball I mean I know that's a very reductive way of looking at tennis but I just thought he had a bad ball striking day what I was most encouraged by and I think Murray was as well was his movement I mean We watched him practice at the start of the week, and actually the opposite was true. He was mm. practice hitting the ball beautifully. Of course he was, but he wasn't moving. I mean, he mm. was literally standing on the spot hitting the tennis ball, and he looked great. He was yeah. the equal and of Yannick Sinner. He, he hit with Sinner, and I asked Sinner about that practice afterwards because you know he loved hitting with Andy Murray, and I said, How, how's, he, how's he hitting? And he said, oh, brilliant. From the middle, brilliant. Mm. But it was a very... He didn't mean it like that. He, it was a compliment, but it was a very revealing compliment. Mm, yeah. And yet then, when we got into the matches, I actually thought the movement was okay. I mean, look, he's not moving like he was at his peak, but neither was he sluggish. Like, I was a bit worried he might be. He was getting to balls. There were some brilliant shots on the run, encouraging signs. I think, in particular, moving towards that that hip seemed okay. Mm. He just, I mean, to me, he just didn't have his game when he played Berrettini. And, and that, that wound him up something so rotten after it. He cannot accept it, can he? The sort of extremist in him of, of wanting to be able to do it well. Um, and, it, and like you say, he, it's not like he was failing to move. I think that the groin injury he has is, is a concern still, isn't it? He is worried about mm. that. But... He just felt he played rubbish in his mind and he cannot handle that. And I get that. I get that because, I mean, he, striking the ball sh- shouldn't be the issue for him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, overall, I, uh, I think it's a positive because he did move better than everybody seemed to be expecting. I have no idea whether that's enough to win matches at Wimbledon. Um, a lot will depend on the draw, you know. I think more than ever. I think. I Absol- mean, I mean, for so many, so many people. Yeah, the best uh, of the five men's, men's game gives Murray time potentially to get some rhythm. Mm. If the groin is okay, there's a lot of ifs here, right? But if 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 it is, and if he got a draw that was kind, if he's if he gets Berrettini first round or someone like that, I don't I don't back mm-hmm. him no, to win. I, no. I just don't. There has been a shift in how he's talking. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that he was heading off to Miami. And I think he gave that line that he, he still believes he can win Wimbledon this year. 
he's not talking like that anymore. No. Yeah, there has been there has been a shift. There's an acceptance. Yeah, and that, that he's not what he was physically. Yeah, that that makes me a lot more. I mean, I've always been completely behind him doing whatever he wants to do and whatever makes him happy. Um, but it makes me a lot more comfortable as a viewer with him with him doing that because yeah. I don't think he's deluded. I think he knows he's not what he was. But I think he also knows that he's got other assets that nobody can take away from him and that he sees a lot of players in the modern game not possessing. Mm. And they can compensate for a lot. And I genuinely think he loves tennis enough. And I think this is difficult for a lot because not every... Not every top tennis player is is wired this way. That that's that's the thing. I, there is there is a difference in how even people that have been in the same situation feel. I I do believe him when he says it's enough for him to have those moments. You know, we saw the emotional reaction after he beat Benoit Paire. That moment was why he had been putting himself through what he what what he has been to try and get back on the court and I I believe that those moments make it worthwhile for him at the moment he doesn't need to be winning titles and competing at the deep end of Grand Slams for that work to be worthwhile I don't know if that'll be the case in a month two months who knows but right now I think he knows where his body's at honestly I think he still sees that as part of the process to getting mm. to that point that you describe and I'm not sure I think if somebody were a fortune teller and able to say well that's not going to happen Andy I think that that would be different yeah but then that's certainty isn't it and yeah. that's what he's out there playing for to, to a certain extent some control and some feeling of resolution <clears throat> yeah about his career and and he's he's playing for a for for not having sleepless nights in retirement, isn't he? And as you say, he does. I mean, he keeps repeatedly saying, "I love it." Yeah. And and, and the tears that we saw. I mean, he does get you, doesn't he? Because he, I don't know what it is about him, but I mean, he's <laughs> he gets everybody when he when you can see him composing himself because he obviously bottles all this up and he's trying so hard he's working and putting heart and soul in and and then suddenly he gets what he was after all this time a win um and it's such a struggle to get that these days um so good luck to him i say i mean you know i really hope the best for him Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. 
Um, the, the one of the singles player I just want to mention quickly from Queens is Jack Draper, who got a wild card into this tournament, a late wild card, and I know that it was a real touch and go as to whether he would get one because he came in not fully fit. Um, but he managed to get wins in the first round over Yannick Sinner. I think it was the first match of the entire tournament, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. On yep. the Monday, which was a real shock to me, I have to say. I mean, I, I remember when Draper was in the final of the Wimbledon Boys three years ago, and he was really exciting. But let's be honest, he hasn't made any strides mm. si- since then as, a, as, a, as an adult tennis player. He'd never beaten the top 200 player. Right. And Yannick um, Sinner's a top 25 player. And, and look, that's not to do him down, because I think it, it is a difficult transition, and people take it at different times and, and durations in order to get there and he is only 19 but when you see him play Yannick Sinner and to have felt at the start of that match there's no chance he's going to win this match this guy has been making himself a hardened professional winning titles and even and Draper didn't think he got a chance really did he and, and everyone felt that even more so when he was four love down uh, with points for five love yeah. to Yannick Sinner I remember actually being in here in this media centre when that match was going on. And I, I, honestly, I was looking at the screen saying, for love, well, of course it's for love. And Mike Dixon from the Daily Mail came up and he said, do you know, he's actually in a lot of these points. He's not winning them, but he's in them. And and he was, you could tell Mike was thinking, get into the match. Go on, just get into the match and then let's see what you've got. And my God, did he. And he mm. fought back and he won that ti- that set from a four love deficit and won it on a tie break and then he ended up winning what four tie break sets in a row I think that's what impressed me most about him this week all the sets he won were tie breaks you know two against Yannick Sinner two against Alexander Bublik who has been in great form and I think has a game which really transfers to grass as well. I think that's another good win for well, Draper. One of Andy Murray's ones to watch on grass this Ooh, year. He did okay. a VT for us. He picked out three players. Two were were very obvious. Can't remember who they were, but, you know, whoever you're thinking of when you're listening to this. <laughs> I think one might have been world number one, Novak Djokovic. Anyway, <laughs> the other one was Bublik. What's a VT? I think it's videotape from the old days, but oh. it's, a, you know, when I th- th- say, here's Andy Murray to tell you about grass court tennis. Oh. That's a VT. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, but yeah just, I just think winning tie breaks against top players is a great sign. You know, mm. when he needed his tennis most, it was there. And he didn't shrink in those big moments. He, he feels like someone who's going to rise to an occasion. You know, I actually think... Going back now to playing, what, you know, futures challenges. That's that's the next test. You know, once you've had a taste of a week like this, to then go back to playing in front of nobody on smaller courts without that adrenaline rush that he must have felt this week. That's where the next test comes because he can he can mix it with these players. What's his game? How come how come he's beaten Sinner and Bublik? What's his game? Well, he's got a big lefty serve which is a a great starting point i think um he's 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 consistent from the back of the court but he's he's powerful as well you know he's, he doesn't feel underpowered he's big gonna gonna get david to make his andy roddick comparison now he's been trying to tell everyone that he looks like a young Andy Roddick been telling everyone that everyone looks like a young Andy Roddick no, I how haven't. many players have you comp- compared no, to Andy Roddick this week I have not I've always said it's Jack Draper with the way he pulls his hat down over his eyes but there was he... another one no it was Berrett- Berrettini no you did compare <laughs> Berrettini to Roddick no similar gait similar sort of physical uh, actually the big thing is it's the it's the attitude. It's come on then, mm. you know. And, mm. he, and he's 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 got the bravado and the and the self belief to hit a shot and and go yeah come on you know mm. like right in their face. And I, and I love that to be mm. quite honest against players much his senior. And I think there's a pretty good tennis IQ there as well. He's not mm. just hitting the ball for got, the sake of it. He's got nice feel points, as well. Nice feel improvises occasionally. Yeah, exactly. I I, I do think he's got something about him which everyone was talking about as you said three years ago when he reached the Wimbledon boys final that those 
those little elements of his game, you can still see it's just, as you said, he hasn't really kicked on since mm. then. And I, I hope a week like this can be a building block. But as I said, it, it, it's tough to go back to what he knows after this. Yeah. Well, we, we, we keep thinking back as well to that match in Miami when he, when he faded so horribly and ended up retiring. But this was a, a big kick on and he'll be an interesting player to watch. So that's Queens, um, and in the doubles, incidentally, I should just say Nicolas Mahou and Pierre Hugobert went straight from Paris, winning the French Open to win the title at Queens, and they did so, having I think been maybe a couple of points from defeat. That's two tournaments in a row where they've saved three match points in the semi-finals. They did it at Roland Garros, and they've done it now at Queens this and they, week. And, and they, they were definitely down and in trouble in the mm-hmm. first round, I think. Yeah, here. and and they've done it all. Uh, despite Pierre Gobert, bless him, just simply not being able to close out a tennis match. <laughs> I went to the courtside. He knows it as well, doesn't yeah, he? He, totally he said in his does. speech, it's all right, Nico's more experienced than I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were set in 5-4 up and serving, and at that point, me as oh. the media director says, all right, we've got the presentation coming up here, i better go courtside. Off I went, and I couldn't get in in time, so I'm, I'm basically stood behind a fence looking at the scoreboard and watching it tick to love 15, love 30, love 40, <laughs> break, 5 all. Okay. There was a double fault where both serves barely found the baseline <laughs> let alone the service box oh dear. it was yeah he's a lovely chap and so great i yeah. think they're the first team to win roland garros and queens back to back since 2012 which was what a stat. max mernier and daniel nester and that was and 2012 would have been a time yeah. where there was the where there was no gap between them right yeah. And, so and Mo did all but admit or sort of uh, did a veiled admission uh, in his interview with us that uh, on the Eurostar over here last Monday, uh, they were hugely hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Good for them. I mean, maybe I'm reading between the wrong lines, but uh, yeah, he referred not to not particularly, particularly feeling great on the Eurostar. I hope this isn't too ageist, but I, I slightly fear for them over best of five sets. I know they they had that five-set epic against Cabal and Farah, didn't they, a, a, a year or two ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, and they won the title in 2016, but it just feels like a long match, really, for poor old Nick oh, who all right. He's about 50, isn't he? 40. <laughs> He's okay. 39. Is he? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, well, anyway, well Nothing done to in them. doubles. They're lovely blokes, and uh, congratulations to them. They beat Riley Opelka and John Pierce, who... Uh, who played well as well over the course of the, this tournament. Um, I'm just going to go over to Haller mm. and tell you what went on there. On there. Um, before we, we talk about the winner, what happened to Roger Federer? I mean, he, he, he lost a match in, what, three sets against Felix Ogianiassim and then spent forever to come into the press conference. Yeah, so he beat Ilya Ivashka in his opening match in two very tight sets. Um, which I didn't see, but I I read that, you know, he was as good as he needed to be. Um, and then he's playing Felix Auger-Aliassim in, in the second round, which is an interesting one for so many reasons. Auger-Aliassim had just lost another final um, and is still working with Uncle Tony, or just... Tony, depending <laughs> on how you want to approach that name, um, and you know Roger Federer, it, he's not exactly played down the pressure on his matches this grass court season, has he? I mean, we all know why he's still playing tennis. It's because he thinks he might have a chance of winning Wimbledon and maybe winning the Olympics. Frankly, um, and. I was, we were on air at at this point um, and I'm getting updates through my ear on what's happening in in Halle because that's an event that we were showing on Prime Video but but not covering in the studio because obviously the studio's here at Queen's and uh, Cameron that works in in graphics in our gallery, big tennis fan, I, I trust his knowledge of the sport, said, described him as sublime Federer in the opening set. You know, I'm getting reports in my, my ear, Federer's being Federer in Halle. Um, 
and you know I'm starting to think of you know the old oh, how long is this Felix or Geraldesim and Uncle Tony thing going to last and and then and then he goes and loses the thing in I think a six four second set one breaker serve in the second set and then six two third set um, which look honestly I didn't see. Um, but it sounds like his level dropped off considerably. He then takes two and a half hours to come to press. Um, which is rare. Which is rare, and he acknowledges that, that that's rare and really admits to being furious at himself, and in particular his, quote, bad attitude. Um, and he only spoke in English in the press conference. All the Swiss journalists had to ask him questions in English, which, again to his great credit, is extremely rare. Um, yeah, I mean, we're in a slightly difficult position of not having seen it. Um, and he's obviously not entered another tournament this week. He's content to, to practice on the grass at Wimbledon. But the the experts I'm surrounded by do not think Federer is winning Wimbledon. And probably don't think he's in the mix I mean everybody caveats that with we'll wait and see the draw I mean obviously the draw is huge but I haven't heard anybody this week saying he's in with a in with a chance of winning Wimbledon okay well he's in my mix anybody else he's in my mix because who on earth else is in the mix really it's a slim and I mean and the eight Wimbledons (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. If anything's going to get you into a very slim pick and mix, it's it's eight. It's I don't know. Uh, it's it's eight Wimbledon's. For people who have, have only just in the last few months started listening, what's the mix again? Oh God, the form. What's the formal definition? People that you wouldn't be surprised to see win it. Win it. Yeah. We were big on this two years ago, but then there was this pandemic, and we've just completely lost track. I have anyway. I mean, he's in he's in my mix, but that's if I'm broadening the mix beyond Novak Djokovic. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. he feels like such a strong favourite for Wimbledon. But the thing is, we've got no evidence whatsoever that Federer can physically play more than three matches in a row. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time he did that? It would have been the 2020 Australian Open, wouldn't it? I actually thought his tennis looked quite good at the French Open in in large parts. It was patchy, but there were lots of promising signs. Sounds like he played very well in that first set against Orge Aliassim, but it's not it's not lasting. He, he he can't piece it together for multiple matches, which is what he needs to do to even contend at a Grand Slam, ne- never mind win it. Um, and I know Greg Rosetsky thinks that his loss of fear factor is significant nobody's afraid of playing him anymore and in fact quite the contrary players will spy an opportunity to beat the great Roger Federer the eight-time champion um where it used to be spy an opportunity to share the court with him. yeah mm. absolutely see Matteo Berrettini mm. only two years ago yeah um but it's it's still Roger Federer at Wimbledon um yeah, he's in my mix, but I am not predicting him to win the title. Mm. Okay. Well, the player who did win the Haller title, and given that the players that had entered this tournament initially, I think at one point they got six of the world's top ten. I don't think they all ended up playing. There was one seed in the quarterfinals. It yeah. was extraordinary because it was a strong field, the really who, strong. The man who won it was Hugo Humbert, who... Very talented left-hander from France who, to my mind, the, the player that sticks in my head because he had that epic against Nick Kyrgios in the Australian Open. That's what I think of when I think of Hugo Humbert at the moment. But just listen to the players he's beaten here. In the first round, he's beaten Sam Quarry 4-6, 7-6, 7-6 in the first round. <laughs> he's then beaten Zverev 6-3 in the third then he's beaten Sebastian Corda, 6-4 in the third. Then he's beaten Felix Auger-Aliassime, 7-6 in the third. So that's four successive three-set matches. And then he's knocked Andre Rublev off in the final. Would you like an epic stat? Yep. Roger Federer has won 10 Haller titles. 
and has one top 10 win in Halle. Ugo and Bear has won one Halle title and has two top 10 wins. Wow. Matt Who Roberts. is Federer's one top ten win in Oh, can you get this, David? He's, oh. I, I'm not certain. I think Leighton Hewitt. Hewitt or Haas? I think it might be Safin. I mean, oh. all of these people have retired about ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Leighton Hewitt is still playing I mean, doubles. In, in his eyes, he's still active. <laughs> he just he's having a bit of a bit of a time off. But, but I mean, that is a. Incredible week wow. for Mbert, and he yeah. came in to the grass on a, I think, a five-match losing streak on the clay. He had an absolutely miserable time. Ever since that match against Kyrgios at the Australian Open, even a little bit before that, I think he might have won Antwerp, maybe, at the end of last season. I've thought he's a neat, tidy, good tennis player. I've sort of had a bit of an eye on him. And then in the clay court season, I kept looking at his, at his results, and he was just losing every week, and he seemed to have no confidence whatsoever. So to then go into the grass court season and put this together in, in Halle, I think is really impressive. And actually, he does have a game which I think can suit the grass. I think he's already reached the last 16 at Wimbledon. He's got kind of like Cam Norrie on his backhand. He's got a really short backswing. Mm. I think that helps him on the grass. He's another lefty. He's got good touch, good feel. I think he will always be, or certainly at the moment, probably a little bit underpowered against the very, very best players, particularly over five sets, I think. It makes me want to go back and watch the highlights of some of those matches and Mm. understand... I mean, How he's doing they've it. been very close but I want to understand what works for him you know did, did, didn't he challenge or I said like relatively challenge Djokovic at Wimbledon a couple of years ago I know he beat or was that Felix or someone else entirely <laughs> her catch I get him I get those two mixed up oh, all no. the time <laughs> It was her catch. It was her catch, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, because... Well, you disappeared off the face of the planet. Djokovic beat Umber 6-3, 6-2, Right. Whereas... Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. With yeah, her catch, and I was going to say, before Catherine said it, I was going to say I get those two mixed up all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Djokovic beat her catch, 7-5, 6-7. Yes, that S- is what I'm remembering. 6-1, 6-4. Yes, So, Catherine, okay. I think we're going to... We're not going to give you that, but we're going to no. forgive you that. Okay, thank that? you. <laughs> yes, I'll definitely take that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, very m- major congratulations to Ugo and Bear. I think it's time we went to Birmingham now. Mm. Um, not only because I'm absolutely delighted to be going back there tomorrow, <laughs> but because the title winner in Birmingham, which I should add, is a tournament that has dropped in its level um it's it's gone a category lower hasn't it on the tour they they lost their their i think it, what, what sanction would it have been a 500 sanction mm. i guess it would have been in, in today's money and that's now berlin is it is yes, the 500 that's right but it's a great story because it's been won birmingham by Ons Jaber. Um her first ever WTA title she becomes the first Arab woman ever to win a WTA title I still find it quite hard to believe that she hasn't won one before I was very surprised by the headlines about that win I had her in the category of title winners on the WTA certainly at the lower level of the WTA Mm, tour yeah absolutely I mean I I know we did have her on the podcast didn't we talking about how a title was yeah. her goal, but I still thought maybe on the lower level she'd have won one already. But anyway, she, the scenes on this court when she beat Daria Kasatkina to, to win the title. By the way, what a lovely matchup that is. Mm. You know, you, you'd pay to watch that. But she was basically on her knees in in ecstasy and emotion. I mean, it mean meant so much to her. She said, "I had to win this title just to breathe out a little bit." And also to be the example. Wow. I I remember watching her in the final of one of the Charleston events earlier this year. I think she lost to Astra Sharma, who was, you know, someone who on paper she certainly should have beaten and I think did beat quite handily at the recent French Open you know she's she's got more game than Astra Sharma and yet on that day she seemed completely inhibited by nerves did on Jabur. So for her to 
get over that hurdle of winning a title, I think, is really significant. And that's it, the thing that is, by the way, totally I think, that that she has put this pressure on herself that totally. she is going to do it this year. This is the year, and and she and doing it will represent something. I love yeah. how she embraces that. There are. There are disappointingly few players that do that. There's, you know, there's a lot that sort of happen to do it by extension, um, but sort of distance themselves from representing something bigger than themselves. And I get it. It's a very individual sport. You know, by by standing for something more than yourself, you're inviting extra pressure. But I do think it is admirable and... Inspiring that she invites that extra pressure by wanting to stand for something and represent something and being being an example yeah. uh, to others, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So on Shibera winner, um, Alex Bolt won the Nottingham Challenger. Another great story here in Berlin, the one there that Matt referenced. A qualifier, Ludmilla Samsonova, won Berlin. And listen to the people she beat on the way to doing that. She beat Belinda Bencic from a 1-6 first set deficit. She then beat Victoria Azarenka, Madison Keys, 7-6 in the third, Veronica Kudometova, Marketa Vondrosheva. Uh, and in qualifying, even just to get into that draw, Samsonova beat Anna Konyu, 7-6 in the third. And she's got herself a Wimbledon main draw wildcard. Has she? Mm. Oh, yeah, great. I mean, I think she was only two or three spots outside direct acceptance. Um, and that tends to be how they do it, um, if there are wild cards going spare. Um, but yeah, massive, absolutely massive. Another one, I, the WTA do some really good highlights, don't they, on their YouTube mm. page, which... I mean, look, for, for obvious reasons, our attentions have been focused on Queens, but wow, it doesn't often make me want to go and watch some of this stuff. Yeah, and look, we, we've only seen Queens because we've all been working on Queens. It was one of those moments today where all of these finals were happening at the same time. You know, Queens, Halle, Birmingham and Berlin. And look, I get it. In, you know, when they're all in Europe, it's all on similar time zones. I, I understand it's difficult, but... Gosh, it does feel like a tennis shooting itself in the foot moment. Yeah, yeah. note Find it down for the yep. end of the season <laughs> when we do our awards, uh, an empty award. Already so many contenders. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's been one of those years. Uh, Wimbledon qualifying is about to begin next hour or so, and um, so we'll be watching that with interest, and uh, we will bring the details of who's qualified for Wimbledon in our pre Wimbledon. Uh, podcast in a week's time um, we've got a couple more before then as well just a couple of little stories that we weren't able to cover in the last week because we didn't do a Thursday podcast despite thinking about it um, <laughs> we decided it wasn't the best idea when we were finishing at two in the morning um, one is that um, very shortly after the podcast we recorded last week it came out that Stefano Sitsipas had lost his grandmother just on the on the eve of the final um, and he, he posted a very heartfelt uh, Instagram post um, about uh, his grandmother's passing and um, yeah I, I, I can't imagine how, how difficult that was for him and incidentally Sitsipas pulled out of Halle understandably and actually ended up here at Queen's Club today he was practicing over on court five I think it was um, uh, for an hour or so and uh, yeah I guess he's back in the bubble now and um, trying to get ready for for Wimbledon. Uh, Joe Conter won a title as well in the second week of the French Open. That was in Nottingham. Um, pretty handily as well. She powered through the draw, but has since withdrawn from everything else before mm. Wimbledon, including Eastbourne. And it seems this knee is a problem again. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, when I saw that withdrawal, I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe it's one of those withdrawals. And, um, you know, she's got the matches she needed uh, by winning the title but then I thought oh, Eastbourne, Eastbourne's her home isn't and it's it also you know, like it's a week between, I mean I understood Birmingham when yeah. she pulled out of that because she just won Nottingham but really yeah it's it, it's not great I I don't know where Joe Conter is at at the moment she's very difficult to fathom currently certainly her her winning the title in Nottingham came came as a surprise to me that felt out of nowhere just as much as her then seeming to be injured off the back of it came from nowhere. I, it's 
it's a very inconsistent situation um, yeah I certainly don't she's not in my Wimbledon mix put it that way Matt what went on in Stuttgart because Marin Cilic won a title that hasn't been happening very recently uh, and Felix Ogialiasim lost another final and what is that 0-16 and 16 in sets in finals I know it's a bit mean to keep pointing that out but it is also a fact I thought you were going to say, I know it's a bit mean to ask you, because I know you didn't see any of it. <laughs> um, Sorry. No, yeah, so title for Marin Cilic, which came out of the blue for me, really. I mean, I know his form has slightly been improving, but most of the time the answer to did Marin Cilic win over the last few months has been a resounding no. Um, and actually, he was good this week in, here at Queen's as well. He, he won a couple more matches and... Ended up losing in three to Alex Dumanor. But, you know, his form is picking up. He's going to be unseeded at Wimbledon, I believe, unless there are lots of withdrawals and he gets in before Friday's the draw, before Friday's draw. But, I mean, the, the form he's shown on grass in the last couple of weeks would suggest that not many seeds would want to be drawing Marin Cilic in round one. He's, yeah. he's finding mm-hmm. some form again. Um, and, yeah, as for Jaliasim, I mean, that is a definite definite thing now I think mm. I think after f- I don't know I'm trying to work out when I became really worried about that I think after four or five I wasn't actually that worried I thought it was just a great achievement that he's getting to so many finals and it, it, it still is he's still very young and that's a that's a lot of finals to have reached but he is freezing in these finals and his game is completely malfunctioning he's not as you said he's not even winning sets and he's, he's got to find a way to to overcome that. Yeah, it, it's not it's not a foregone conclusion anymore that he'll he'll do this. It, it, he still has a great game. Do what? But, what? It was it was two years ago that it. But in for most of the tennis world, it was a foregone conclusion that he'd be winning Grand Slam titles. Yeah. Multiple Grand Slam titles, probably world number one. You know, him and Sitsipas duking it out in multiple Grand Slam finals, tussling, you know, being the next Federer and Nadal. Yeah, I mean, I I can't believe I'm saying foregone conclusion on this podcast, but that is how people felt about it at the time. And I I don't think all confidence has um, dissipated, but there is definitely not conviction. Any, I mean, definitely not. Do you not. not think that if he just wins one of them, that'll be that? Uh, not mm. not one slam. I mean, a title, then but, that baggage but, but, will have but, gone. But why? This is happening for a reason. It's not just happening to happen. Well, he's got a problem. There's no question he's, he's got a problem. He's got a problem and... Yeah, I mean... It's a. I know Roger Federer didn't win his first slam till he was 23? 21. Two, 21, okay. You know, I, I know that when precocious talents break onto the scene and expectations are heaped upon them, you know, two years later you can go, well, why haven't they done all those things? And you're like, well, they're still only 19. Hmm. Um, I know that that's a thing. But I don't think this is quite that anymore. I do think it's something more than that. And I don't think the Uncle Tony thing was working out. Yes, you could point to him reaching a final, but I don't expect that to last. Um, Beat Federer this week. Got yeah. to the semis, lost to Ugo Umber. Well, got to the final of the doubles. Yeah, which, very misleading photo. <laughs> yes. They're the holding the I, second biggest I, trophies ever. God knows what I the thought, winners oh, great. Yeah. Felix he, and Hercatch have won another title. No, yeah. that was the runners-up trophy. So <laughs> delighted with a plate in the doubles, yeah. He yeah. needs to play Cameron Norrie in a final, and then one of them will break their final Ooh. duck. Ooh. Let's make that happen. Okay, well, we'll follow his progress with interest. Uh, one of the notes, uh, Kiki Burton's, is to retire later this year. And that came out of the blue to me in terms of it really doesn't feel like very long ago that she was contending for major titles, but then she had a major physical problem, the pandemic. It's just And, she, and it's just not been happening for her, has it? That's the, the, the gist of it. 
Yeah, I mean, her career is a tale of the unexpected, isn't it? Kind of, she had her success when nobody was particularly expecting it of her. Then she faltered when people start did start expecting success of her. And now she's unexpectedly retired, but maybe sort of reflecting on her career and her character. It's, it, we shouldn't be as surprised as we are, but... We were discussing this man. She's she's never quite been the same player since that French Open when she went in as one of the favourites and had to retire on the Philippe Chatrier court. Mm. Um, it, 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 it's sad to think that that was her only shot at the French Open in in what would you probably call her peak. You know, she was a real favourite at that French Open, the 2019 French Open. We were you know, in, in the press room and, and the journalists were going, you know, the Dutch journalists were really mm. going mad for Kiki Burton. Fairly sure I picked her for the title. <laughs> <laughs> and Sorry, her career Kiki. has never been the <laughs> no. same. But from everything we hear, she's a really good egg. And yeah, she's great. Very good player as well. And wish her all the very best in the future. Just, just to say, we touched on Rafa Nadal's withdrawal from Wimbledon and the Olympics. I mean, how much did that take you by surprise because it, it really did take me by surprise I, I know that me some too. some journalists were saying that he'd, he'd hinted at it during his post-match press after the after Roland Garros and I, I'm sure that perhaps was the case I think for me it was the double whammy I think the Wimbledon withdrawal didn't surprise me that much to then skip the Olympics as well I mean I know the Olympics is not quite the same this year you know there are Lots of players talking about potentially skipping the Olympics. Dominic team, okay, he's never been, but he's he's pulled out this week. But yeah, I mean that did surprise me. Maybe maybe it shouldn't. Maybe there has to come a time when Nadal really starts to prioritise events. You know, it was it was not that long ago that he couldn't make it through a hard court tournament. He was retiring or or withdrawing from lots of them. But it, it seemed like he'd had a really good run of physical health. I know he was struggling in that fourth set against Novak Djokovic at the French Open with a foot problem, I think it was. But I was I was taken aback by that double withdrawal from Nadal. It's it's certainly a shame for the you know, for the months and tournaments ahead. Mm. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was surprised as well, but as you say, a, a lot of people didn't seem so surprised. Um and I wonder how badly he was feeling it in that fourth set against uh Djokovic. Mm. But well, we covered it in detail last week and I still um, feel that Djokovic can look at that and, and feel like he beat the main man mm. on clay, Rafael Nadal, in that match. Right then, that pretty much sums up uh, a, a podcast for this week. Um, we have got more planned in the weeks to come. We're going to be producing a couple of editions of Tennis Relived, Wimbledon Relived for you later this week. Not sure exactly which day, but it'll be, be out uh, a couple of them this week with uh, the story of the Wimbledon boycott in 1973 and the journey to equal prize money and I'm fairly confident those will be very interesting mm. shows to listen to, mainly because of the people we've been speaking to. Oh, yeah. Which I'm is, uh, really excited about those shows. Oh, I'm even more excited now. Mm. Uh, brilliant. Right, we've got some shout-outs, Matt. Yes, we do. For Bev Neal. Right, Bev. Hello, Bev. Do you know about any Bevs? Uh, no, I was going to reference Alex Neal, the football manager, but... Yeah, he's in my bad books because right, yeah. he turned down West Bromwich mm, Albion. Yeah, and our Bev Neil is really nice. Yes, so, you know. Yes, hello Bev. All right, Bev. We have Judith Cohn. All right, Judith. Hello, Judith. Like Judith Chalmers. Indeed, mm. who was from Wish You Were Here in yeah. the eighties. Well, I think and nineties. Oh, hence why you know <laughs> she is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks ever so much for your support, Judith. And finally, we have Laura Vagani, which feels oh, very appropriate given our Italian winner at Queen's. Yes. And Laura was our 
guest editor earlier in the year for our Yvonne Gulagon. A really good guest editor. And Laura sent me a lovely compliment about my hair on Instagram. Well, isn't that marvellous? It has been quite cool. I don't really know what they've been doing with it, but it's looked quite cool as from what I could see. Um, And I would just uh, like to make a little shout-out to Ryan, Dan and Matt, who I ran into on the grounds here at Queen's uh, the other day. One of Uh, his fans. Well, Some of uh, his fans. Yeah, Ryan, I think it was Ryan who had the Jack Grealish hair probably a mistake um <laughs> but uh they're about they're all three very nice lads and uh, and i said i'd mention them on the podcast for free so there we are right. <laughs> everyone who's paid for a shout out is now delighted for ryan who <laughs> was it ryan ryan dan and matt ryan dan and matt two shout outs <laughs> okay for the price of zero <laughs> um, so there we are Right, well, we'll be back with more Tennis Podcasts, and when we get to Wimbledon, we will be coming your way every single night, and we'll be recording in Catherine's flat, which I'm still trying to come up with a good name for. Tennis Podcast Towers, yeah. Yes, can't <clears> wait. <throat> it's going to be epic. Um, so thanks for your company all week long, folks. I've enjoyed the, po- the, the tournament here at Queen's immensely. I've enjoyed this podcast for the last hour immensely as well, and I uh, hope you have too, and we'll see you in a few days' time. 